When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. Just after midnight, on the morning of November 16, 2003, a firebomb tore through the center of the Holocaust Education Center in Terre Haute, Indiana. Much of the building's interior was incinerated in the blaze. Unknown quantities of historical memorabilia, including the personal belongings of Holocaust survivors, were destroyed. By the time fire crews arrived, It was already too late. Uh, The fire was in the middle of the building. It took us about uh, 35 to 40 minutes to bring the fire under control. On the north side of the building, the door had been knocked out prior to our arrival. At this time, the fire was under investigation. This museum was the life work of Eva Kor, former victim of Auschwitz concentration camp, and of the so-called Angel of Death, Dr. Joseph Mengele. Eva had built this education center from the ground up, 
with her own resources. And on the day after the bombing, television news reporters gathered here in Terre Haute to cover the story. This is Action 10 News, WTHI. A little piece of history is lost tonight. Fire ripped through the Candles Holocaust Museum in Terre Haute just after midnight last night. There is evidence of arson. Police are treating the case as a hate crime. Eva was asked by reporters how she first learned of the attack. The policeman said, Mrs. Cora, I need to inform you that there is a fire at the museum. Is it a fire? Everything is gone. They have destroyed everything. On the walls of the museum, the arsonist has sprayed the words, Remember Timothy McVeigh. Two years before the bombing, domestic terrorist Timothy McVeigh was executed here in Terre Haute. You may remember McVeigh as the man who drove a van full of explosives into a federal building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people, including 19 children. This was the kind of hate that Eva was confronted with on that day. She was saddened, of course, but not impressed. When asked how she felt about the bombing, she said simply, I've had better days, but I've also had worse days. And she was right. As a Holocaust survivor, she'd had worse days by every imaginable standard. After learning of the bombing and of Eva's story, I drove to Terre Haute, about three hours south of Wabash, to learn more about the Candles Holocaust Education Center and also of the life of this incredible woman. So why don't we start with you telling me your name and your position here? Yeah, Troy Fears, and I am Executive Director at Candles Holocaust Museum and Education Center located in Terre Haute, Indiana. And you mentioned that we are in Terre Haute, Indiana, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot. Why is there a Holocaust Museum Center here in central Indiana? Yeah, we do get that a lot. And we are Indiana's only Holocaust Museum, founded a little over 27 years ago by a Holocaust survivor by the name of Eva Kaur, who was a twin and she and her sister survived Auschwitz and survived experiments done on them at Auschwitz by Dr. Joseph Mengele. Long story short, Eva ends up in Terre Haute and marries a another Holocaust survivor by the name of Mickey Kor, who was in Terre Haute and had gone to Israel on vacation and had a blind date with Eva. And they actually got married at two weeks, if you can believe that. And then he was a pharmacist here in Terre Haute, so he brought her back, obviously, with him after they got married, and they lived and worked in Terre Haute for many years, and that's how Indiana's only Holocaust museum ends up in Terre Haute. So what led her to opening this museum here? She founded Candles, again, about 27 years ago, and Candles is actually an acronym. It's for children of Auschwitz Nazi Deadly Lab Experiment Survivors. So it's a long <laughs> acronym. And and just so people know, we do sell candles, but we don't make candles. 
I get that question a lot too. Do you have bulk of vanilla candles? No, no, we don't make candles. I actually bought one of the candles they do sell. It's a custom scent designed for the museum by a local manufacturer and has one of those wooden wicks that crackles as it burns. Most importantly, it's a great way to support this museum and its mission. Anyway, back to Eva. She founded the organization Candles, again, about 27 years ago, in honor of her sister, Miriam. Her sister, Miriam, had some health issues, and Eva donated a kidney to Miriam in 1987. And it was during that process they found out that Miriam, her twin sister, kidneys didn't grow past the age of 10, which was the age that they were at in Auschwitz and that they were doing experiments on them at that time. And it was during that process of Eva donating her kidney, the doctors said, hey, if you could find other Holocaust survivors, other twins, particularly from Auschwitz, maybe we could, maybe we can help out and try to find out what experiments were done on you, the twins in general. And so that's what the quest kind of was for Eva to start this museum and start looking for Holocaust survivor twins. And they actually ended up finding about 122 twins that were still alive at the time. Again, this was back in 1987 or so. And they were never able to find out what experiments were done on those twins. They were never able to find any documentation from Dr. Mingala and his experiments, but uh, they were able to have reunions for those twins and, and able to talk about what they had gone through which was obviously very traumatic. And it was a good experience for them, I think, to be able to get together and to be able to talk about their experiences. I'd like to go back to prior to Eva's life, before she went into Auschwitz with her sister and her family. But before we get into that, I wanted you to tell me about the room that we were just in, where you could actually see Eva, because Eva passed away. Is that right? Correct. Eva passed away July 4th of 2019. So about three and a half years ago, at the age of 85. <laughs> and so what we have here at the museum, and it's a relatively small museum, but we do have a very cool interactive exhibit it's called the Dimensions and Testimony. And what it is in a nutshell is basically you can have a conversation with Eva. And Eva was did this back in 2017. So a couple of years before she passed away, she went out to California and was able to do this. It's basically a hologram, and she was asked thousands of questions. And so you can now ask Eva any kind of questions from her time before Auschwitz to her time during and after, and just hear all kinds of responses. It's a way, obviously, to interact with the Holocaust survivor. And it's. I tell people that it's similar to asking Siri or Alexa it's all word recognition, and it's a very cool technology, and we're very proud and happy to have it here at our museum. It's one of the highlights of people coming in here to the museum. They not only hear Eva's story, they actually get to hear and see Eva via the television, but this interactive theater, it's very cool. When you come into the theater, there's a life-size screen at the front of the room, and an image of Eva projected on it. The room seats maybe 30 people and would be ideal for school groups. It's been almost 80 years now since World War II, and we lose more Holocaust survivors every day. Among those who do survive, 
Many were too young to fully grasp what was happening in the moment. Many others, very understandably, would rather not talk about it. Being able to engage with a Holocaust survivor in the way this theater allows us to do is a rare and precious opportunity. That was something that I did not expect when I walked in, that we were going to hear from her. You walked into that room and there she is just sitting there moving. And I was just like, what's happening? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great educational tool and it is available online and it's great for, we get emails all the time from teachers all across the country that use this and use Eva's story to help tell the story of the Holocaust or help teach it. And so it's very moving and gratifying when you get those kind of emails that Eva is still making an impact on students um, all over the country. And that was one of her big things in that when she was, as she got older, she would speak to more and more groups and really related to students, both high school and kind of the middle age groups. They really gravitated towards her story and she was able to impact and to speak to thousands of students all over the country, she would travel and give speeches. And they, to this day, we get, again, emails or even people coming to the museum saying that they saw Eva speak 10 years ago and what an impact that the, her story had on them. One of the best things about this theater is the fact that you can access it online. You can ask Eva just about anything. She'll tell you about soap in the camp. In Auschwitz, I was given a bar of soap every week. Yes, we had soap in Auschwitz. She also tells you about soap operas, which is how she learned English when she moved here in 1960. And it was a program called As the World Turns. There were young people holding hands and hugging. And I thought that was interesting. And I became involved with the story, and every day I turned out the television since we had only one station. That was the only story at that time of the day I could watch. I thought it must be a very long movie. And I started writing down words that I kept hearing them repeating. So I had a pretty long list of words after a few months. And I didn't know the meaning of the word. So I said to my husband one day, would you help me find these words in the dictionary? He said, where on earth did you get these words from? I said, oh, I have been watching a movie every day. He said, you what? You've been watching soap operas? And he was kind of accusing me. I said, no, there was no soap in it at all. So I learned to speak English a great deal thanks to Bob and Lisa Hughes and as the world turns. Do you know how many other Holocaust museums there are in the U.S.? There's about, don't quote me, but there's a, not, there's about 25 or so actual physical museums. There's a lot more like monuments or... <clears throat> something like that, but an actual physical museum that's in the 20s. So there's not many. Chicago, just north of Chicago in Skokie, Illinois, has the second largest in the United States. Obviously, the United States Holocaust Museum located in Washington, D.C., which is very impressive if you've not been, uh, is the largest in the United States. So let's go back to Eva. What was her life like? Where was she at? 
Yeah, she was in a really small town called Ports, Romania. And it was herself and her twin sister. They were the youngest. They had two older sisters. And they had a mom and a dad. They lived on a farm in Ports. They were the only Jewish family in this village. Ports is a really small village. The war breaks out in the early 40s, 1940s, and the family thought they would be fine. They thought we're the only Jewish family here in this village. They actually hired some village people to work on the farm. And so they had a kind of that perfect childhood where, you know, Eva and her sister, they went through school. They were 10 years old when they did get rounded up by the Gestapo. They were sent to a ghetto for about six months, and then they were sent to Auschwitz after that. So they were 10 years old when they went to Auschwitz. And so the first 10 years of her life, they went to school uh, there at Ports, um, and they just had, they worked on the farm. In the, in the farm, they had sheep and goats and chickens and those types of animals that they took care of and did chores every day. Just a really happy, normal life until it was all disrupted one night in the, again and then never obviously everything changed after that so let's get into that part what was that like she had her parents and her twin sister after they do they all go to auschwitz at the same time yeah so they were in as i mentioned a ghetto but the nazis kind of sold it as a place where you'll be with your same kind of people. You'll be with your, all of you will be together. You'll be able to work and live. And it really wasn't the case. The ghetto was basically a holding tank before they were sent to a concentration camp. And Auschwitz was the largest concentration camp. And so Eva and her whole family, again, were at a ghetto where they lived in a tent, according to Eva, made of blankets and other materials for about six months. And then they were put on a box car a train and we had to stand up in this box car with uh, they approximately 100 people they think between 80 and 100 people were in each box car and for three days without any food or water they were in this box car again standing up and traveled to Auschwitz they didn't know where they were going but they ended up in Auschwitz and this was in the summer of 44 and again they're 10 years old Eva and her sister are, and they get to Auschwitz. They unload in the boxcar, and there were hundreds of trains. There were, if you go to Auschwitz, they'll tell you there's about the height of the loading and unloading of folks in Auschwitz, about 4,000 people a day were coming through there. And that would have been about the same time that Eva and her family were going through. Again, you're looking at in the summer of 44, and they get off the box car. Eva and her sister, twin sister, are holding hands with her mom. And the mom, or a Nazi guard, comes up to the mom and says, are they twins? And the mom said, is that a good thing? And he says, yes. So she says, yes. And that Nazi guard then grabs the twin girls, Eva and her sister, and drags them away. And that is essentially the last time that Eva sees her mother and then her family as well and they call it the selection platform off after you get off the box car and they call it that because they would have a nazi doctor or nazi guard right there and they would literally select they would tell you go to the left or to the right and go to the left meant you're going to go to the work camp 
We did have a work camp there at Auschwitz that had thousands of people. But if you were old or frail or pregnant or what have you, they could send you to the right. And to the right meant you were going to go straight to the gas chambers. And they think that's what happened to Eva's mom and dad and her two older sisters. There is no record of them ever being at Auschwitz. And they obviously did not keep many records of those who they sent straight to the gas chambers. And that's exactly what they think happened to Eva or Eva's family. And then Eva and Miriam, again, were under the direction and experimented by uh, Dr. Joseph Mingala at their time there in Auschwitz. How old were their older sisters? They were 13 and 14 at the time. And again, Eva and her sister were 10. So her older sisters were just 14. So still relatively young. What all did she say about after her and her sister were picked from that spot? What all was her memory like from her time at the camp? Yeah, that's the incredible part is she was, and you can ask her this when online and through the dimensions and testimony, she talks about her time. She remembers her first night at the camp and she remembers going to the latrine in the barrack where they had twins. There was Twins were separated and in their own kind of barrack. And she went to the latrine and there were, I think she says, two or three dead children laying on the floor in the latrine. And the first night that they're there and she made a vow to herself that she would do everything she could to survive. And that, and she would see that Miriam survived as well. And so she talks about the, yes, the, just the brutal conditions that, that they were under and how that they were experimented on almost every day. They would have blood drawn. They would have their, they would be stripped naked and to have everything on their body measured and looked at from their ears to their eyes to their nose. And again, because they were twins, they were able to, that's what the fascination was, especially with Dr. Mingala was on twins, and they were, Eva and her sister were identical twins. They think, they don't know. Early on in life, you definitely, in early pictures, and even after Auschwitz, you can tell that they were identical. But later in life, they definitely did not look the same. But they were very difficult conditions, obviously, for anyone there at Auschwitz, but especially for young 10-year-old children to go through what they went through. is It's really amazing. And being 10 years old, I'm sure they weren't even aware of what type of tests were being done on them. Yeah, exactly. They were, again, they know they were experimented on. There was a time Eva was injected with something. They don't know what, and because they've never found any records of what Dr. Mingala kept and what experiments he did exactly. But Eva was injected with something and got very sick. She had a fever, and she ended up going or being put in the hospital there at Auschwitz in she remembers, and she'll tell you this, that she was Dr. Mingala coming up to her and being surrounded by some other doctors and nurses and saying, oh, that's poor child. She only has two weeks to live. She's so young. That's too bad. And Eva remembers that, and she tells that story. But she also, again, made a vow that day that she was going to survive. And two weeks later, after she had this fever, her fever breaks and she ends up going back to the barrack and, and finding Miriam and surviving. But the answer to your question is, yeah, they don't know what experiments were done on them. Different experiments were done on different twins for a variety of reasons. And again, they just have never been able to find any documentation of Dr. Mingala's 
experiments, so they just really don't do not know what was done. You said her twin sister's name is Miriam. Correct. So later in life, when Miriam starts having was it kidney problems? Yeah. yeah. So when that was happening, they thought that it possibly was related to the tests that were being done at the cancer camp. Correct. Yeah. So it was in the late eighties. They both, even Miriam, had health issues throughout their life, but Miriam seemed to have more issues and especially again in in the late 80s she started having kidney failure and it was during that process that the doctors found out Miriam's kidneys did not grow past the age 10 which was the age that they were at Auschwitz so they assume the, the doctors that her experiments were done on Miriam stunted her kidney growth and again in the late 80s Eva ends up donating a kidney. Eva's kidneys were fine. They ended up donating a kidney to her sister Miriam. And then Miriam would end up passing away a few years later in the early 90s of bladder cancer. And they don't know if that was obviously related to experiments, but uh, but yeah, it was. And that's what kind of started the whole Candles Museum was the doctors at that time, again, late 80s, they find out that Miriam kidneys are bad. And They said to both Miriam and Eva that, hey, if you could find other twins out there, then maybe we do something. Maybe we could help find out exactly what, how other twins are, if their kidneys are bad or what other health issues they may be having. And so that's what Eva, again, and and Miriam, they founded Candles at the time to to try to locate other twins and to find out if they could find out their medical history, so to speak. And they were able to find 122 twins and uh, talked with them and to find out more about them. But again, we're never able to find out what experiments were done on any of the twins. Back in Auschwitz, at what point in time did they both start realizing that maybe they were going to be set free? I don't think it wasn't until the very end. Uh, Again, they were liberated in Auschwitz in January 27th of 1945. It's obviously an important date in our history. And uh, we celebrate it er, here at the museum, the state of Indiana, Governor Holcomb, in the last three years, I believe, as January 27th is known as Eva Education Day here in Indiana. And so it's promoted where we talk about Eva's story and tell it. But to answer your question about liberation is basically liberation meant that the Soviet army came in and they are the ones that, who liberated Auschwitz. But that meant Basically, all the Nazis just left and they took off and they burned things. They tore down buildings. They did whatever they can. And then they just left. And so Eva and Miriam, at least Eva would tell us that she didn't. She just remembered the Nazis just she waking up one day and the Nazis were just gone. They were just it was very quiet in the camp and they didn't understand what was going on and ended up. They see soldiers wearing white and they didn't know what they were. But they knew they weren't Nazis, and so that was a good thing, according to Eva. And they end up giving them hugs and chocolate, I think, were the big, the two things that the soldiers, the Soviet soldiers gave the kids, and I'm guessing others, obviously, there at, at Auschwitz during liberation. And while we were walking around the museum, you showed me a video. Can you explain what's happening in the video? Yeah, so the video was taken shortly after liberation. So just a few days after, again, the January 27th, 1945 date that is known for the liberation. But the Soviets wanted to do a video, basically a propaganda video to 
for them to say, hey, look what we did. We liberated Auschwitz, and which is great. And it's about a 20 minute long video and you can find it on multiple sites. But if you just look up Auschwitz liberation video, it's on YouTube. It's on the U.S. Holocaust Museum website. And but in it is video of Eva and Miriam walking down through bar- barbed wire fences with a group of other twins and other adults who have been liberated. It's just a fascinating moment in time. We are able to capture here at the museum, and we have we still we show, obviously show that video, and even Miriam are front and center as they're walking down this corridor of barbed wire fences and. It's just a fascinating, again, video and of history for us to be able to, to keep here at the museum. And we've actually been able to identify other twins that are in this same video. And to be able to connect history like that is, is pretty cool. In the very front of the line is Eva and her sister holding hands. I thought that was very powerful, too. Yeah, it really is. We have a large still frame of that video here at the museum. And it's also at the Auschwitz Museum in this exact same still frame of this picture. And yeah, it's even Miriam wearing prisoner jumpsuits, which they did not typically wear. But Eva said that after liberation, again, it was two or three days after liberation that they actually filmed this video. But during those two or three days, they would go around the camp, they being even her sister, and try to find clothing that to keep them warm. It's January in Poland, so it was pretty cold back then. And so they found these two basically male prisoner uh, jackets that they are wearing in the video and uh, they're holding hands. And it's a pretty powerful moment, like you said. After liberation, at what point in time did they try to find their family that was also sent to the camp? Yeah, so it was shortly thereafter. They bounced around a couple different orphanages and they ended up living with a woman who had twin girls, and that was in Auschwitz and for a while. Long story, but they ended up living with an aunt in Israel. But in Eva's mind, as they were going around a couple different orphanages, that she wanted to get back to Ports, Romania, which is where they grew up. And Again, in Eva's mind, she thought, if we survived Auschwitz because we were 10 years old, surely our mom and dad and our two older sisters were able to survive. If we could survive, surely they could. And the, they do make it back to ports, and they go to the home, and it, there's nothing there. It's ransacked. She actually, Eva would say that there was two or three photos that were crumpled up uh, on the floor at the house, and we actually have those photos here at the museum. And those are pretty powerful, too. They're family photos, basically the last family photos that were taken before they went to the ghetto. But they go back to ports, and there was, again, nobody there at the house. It's ransacked. And they end up obviously not staying in ports, but they end up living with an aunt in Israel and going to to high school in Israel. And Because, again, they're 10, 11, 12 years old at this time that they're in the orphanages. And then they end up going to high school in Israel and joining the Israeli military after high school, which was a requirement, and I believe still is, for all Israelis to, after high school, they have to spend at least two years or three years in the Israeli military. At what point in time did they realize their parents and their sisters may not have survived? Yeah, I think it was, Eva would say it was when, again, they went home 
and there was it was ransacked and there was nobody there because it had been a few months after liberation that before they were able to make it back home and i think it was she would say and i think she does in the dimensions and testimony that it was at that point that she realized that they would not be coming home in the next episode we're going to reconnect with eva for the rest of her story Troy will walk us through her post-war life, as well as the mission and purpose of this museum, which is to offer hope and shed light on other forms of injustice in the world today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.